Hi, I'm Rob Vanstone, and welcome to the umpteenth edition of the Rider Rumbling Video Podcast. Uh, we're discussing uh, the Rough Riders' 30-day victory over the Hamilton Tiger Cats last Saturday. Uh, they are now looking ahead, uh, they being the Rough Riders, to another Saturday home game, that being a 5 o'clock matchup with the Ottawa Red Blacks uh, a few days from now. Uh, I am here with uh, Murray McCormick and with my beautiful hound, Candy, who is making her weekly cameo. So, uh... Mer, just kind of like to get your thoughts off the top about Candy or about the Rough Riders. Uh, um, uh, I, I, I thought the Rough Riders had a pretty good chance of winning on Saturday. Hamilton had struggled in its opener, uh, but I didn't see 30 to 8 coming. I didn't see the offensive line performing as robustly as it did. I didn't see the defensive line performing as robustly as it did. I didn't see the running game being as productive as it proved to be. Um, so I wasn't surprised that they won, but I was surprised. Please try to make sense of this because I can't. Well, I'm kind of surprised that you have a dog in the playoffs <laughs> this long. I think it's quite surprising. Oh, there she is. Hello, Candy. So one day we'll get to meet you. I'm surprised too. Like, you know, you kind of look at some of the incidents that took place over the game. First, they lose Shaq Evans to a foot injury. Then they have that crazy chaotic goal line stand with three offsides with three guys hands over the line each time yeah. and the Tiger Cats finally scored and they get they escape that mess <laughs> that could have been but back then they have a brawl where a guy two guys are kicked out but Jake Hardy's kicked out one of the guys supposedly so I'm trying to get away there's a lot of ways they could have lost that game but they still managed to pull and maybe is it a sign that how bad Ottawa really is sorry not Ottawa Hamilton uh, Hamilton can I Excuse me. But maybe it's a sign of how bad Hamilton really is. How bad Ottawa really is on Saturday. Uh, a lot Saturday. of people have the ninth in the power rankings, even though they're 1-0. Yeah, I was looking, I was, actually, I, I, got, I was just looking at a bunch of Ottawa's stats, and that's probably why Ottawa was on my mind. But Hamilton's always near my heart. So I think it's a sign of how maybe how bad Hamilton is. And it's really, when you watch that game, the Riders, were, it was never really close, was it, Rob? It was just seemed to be the whole Riders game. Other well, than it was eight, seven. Hamilton after, you know, in, in the second quarter. But once the Rough Riders got rolling, the whole the whole game turned with the uh, Jonathan Woodard strip sack of, of yeah. Jeremy Amazzoli. A.C. Leonard recovers the football, takes it down to the eight-yard line. And then on the, on the first play of that abbreviated possession, Cody Fajardo finds Mitch Picton for the touchdown. And that was that was absolutely massive. Just late in the first yeah. half, to get that, and after that, the Rough Riders were rolling. You know, two huge plays back to back, and that game just turned on a dime right there. I think our, it's only two games, but our concerns about the defensive line eased or forgotten or waived, or do we still have to need a little more? Uh, I have no concerns about that defensive line anymore. Uh, you know, if you look at it, they got two two troikas that are working. Yeah, perfectly. Yeah. You know, inside they they've got uh, they've got Micah Johnson, who's although the stats don't show it, he is really creating a, a push up the middle. And uh, Garrett Marino has been a nice addition to the to the team. And and, and McKenna Henry's uh, exerted some pressure. I think he has three quarterback pressures unofficially this season. So yeah. they're getting a lot out of the interior linemen. And then you look at the uh, the defensive ends. And Jonathan Woodard leads the league in sacks. All three of them coming in one game. 
and uh, and uh, J.C. Leonard has two, and Keon Adams has played pretty well. So uh, and Charleston Hughes has an area attack. So uh, uh, although he does have a forced fumble, but uh, granted it's only a two-game sample, but uh, the way they've performed so far, I think, is provides a, a lot of uh, grounds for encouragement. Well, this time last year they had five sacks as a team, and then they're 0 and 2. This year they have eight sacks, and they're 2 and 0. Does that can we read something into the fact that they're getting pressure on the quarterback? You know, and they ended up five sacks after two games last year. They ended up being tied for the league lead as yes. they did before. So, so uh, yeah, uh, and they're getting the sacks without having to blitz a lot. Exactly. That's what's, uh, that's what's really telling to me. I mean, it's a it's a dream of every defensive coordinator to be able to get pressure with just your front four or even three. And the one sack by one of the sacks by Jonathan Woodard, although it was probably a bit of an early whistle, was on yeah. a three man rush. But he still got pressure there and. Uh, McKenna Henry, one of his quarterback pressures this year was in a three-man rush situation where he just left the center in the dust. So um, that's, that's, I think, what puts, puts the Rough Riders in an enviable situation, that they don't have to really blitz a lot. Aside from when Nathan Rourke was in the game, as he was for a considerable portion of the opener against BC, uh, the Rough Riders and Jason Shivers, the defensive coordinator, have been very selective about when they've sent extra, extra pressure. Uh, they pretty much hung back. When Mike Riley or Michael Riley was in the in the game in the opener, and uh, they whether it was uh, Jeremiah Mazzoli or Dane Evans quarterbacking the Tiger, the Tiger Cats, there was seldom an inclination to blitz. Two thirds of the time, 87 percent of the time, the Riders went with three or four rushers. Uh, they went with four pass rushers, 67 percent of the time, and with, with three pass rushers, 20 percent of the time. So they didn't really have to. Do a lot, they, and, but they were effective when they did throw the seven at them. So uh, when 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 they did throw a bit of a, a curve at the at the Tiger Cats, generally it, it it served them well. Also, I like Woodard's first sack. That's that was a pure speed sack with a nice move on the tackle. I forgot was that Van Zyl who went on? Well, who was injured? He was, he was playing hurt. He was injured that one. He was injured in that play too. But that was a great play. And in the second one, he does a little sort of stunt and shows his power. So this guy. Woodard has, has kind of the attributes you want. He's tall, he's lanky, he's fast. He seemed like a really decent fellow talking to him on Zoom after the game. He seemed like he's a thoughtful guy. Yeah, he's 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 kind of had an interesting career, and he's in the CFL, and he's making the most of his opportunity. So that's just good. Because if you think about it, Freddie Bishop III suffers a torn Achilles and is gone from the picture. And then you get his backup, Tim, Will- Tim Williams, is supposed to be his backup, and he tears an Achilles is gone. Yeah, and he now gets hurt too. It gets hurt now. So you think of all the guys that are ahead of of Woodard that have been injured that he finally gets his opportunity and gets three sacks in a game. Like three sacks in a game, we're, we're kind of overlooking it a little bit, but that's pretty impressive. Even though the third one was pretty weak, I don't I don't quite get that. But he was in the grass. I guess they got to save the quarterbacks, and the league didn't go bananas over the fact that it was such a, a light sack. But give him credit, he got it. So good for him. I'm gonna. Good looking forward to see what he can do, what more he can do on, as a defensive lineman and come up with it against the Ottawa Red Blacks so we can do against them. So I'm a little high on Woodard right now. Is that okay? I think it's just. Oh, you should be. Actually, I mean, he had a very quiet two sacks in the in the scrimmage mm-hmm. and did really yeah. well. And uh, But yet, yet there was so much talk about the other guys. Jonathan Woodard in training camp uh, really kind of flew under the radar. Even when yeah, Craig Dickinson yeah. was asked to highlight some of the players he thought were performing well at defensive end, he would mention – Tim Williams, he mentioned Pete Robertson, he mentioned Keon Adams numerous times, even when Adams wasn't practicing, but 
but Jonathan Winter just kind of flew under the radar, and uh, it's not it's not a, you know it's not unknown for a rider to get three sacks in a game, but uh, I've got some stats on this to bore you with. Uh, the last oh. time the riders had three, a rider had three sacks in a game was July twentieth, twenty nineteen. Uh, Charleston Hughes had three. He also had three on June fifteenth, twenty eighteen. Before that, you have to go back to Ricky Foley on October nineteenth, twenty fourteen. And that season, the Riders actually had four three-sack three games, two, three by John Chick. No, pardon me, two by John Chick, one by Tierras George, and one by Ricky Foley. So, and before and that, Freeman with three in 2010. Maybe so, they more common than I thought, but it's still know, pretty impressive. I'm going to had three three-sack games in 2004. Mm. Sheldon Napasta did it in 2000. Where are you getting all these stats from? Are you getting them out of your head? or just I keep them. Uh, <laughs> the first three-stack game I ever recorded, when the league actually started recording three-stack games, was Vince Goldsmith against BC on July 24th, 1983. And their second – if, if you win – if you can name the second Rough Rider that I have here to have a three-stack game, I will send you on an all-expenses-paid trip to any resort of your choice. Gotta be July 1st, 1984 versus Toronto. 84. Matthew Teague, you, have, you were that close to it all. <laughs> Rick Golf, Jeff Roberts, Gary Doolin, Jurison, Jurison, James Curry, James Curry, James Curry, James Curry, Gary Lewis, Jurison, Jurison, Jurison. Tim Edwards had a three-sack game in 1995. Jurison, Troy Alexander in 1997. Dwayne Patterson in 1998, same night that Arkel Trulak had three sacks in a game against Toronto. It was the first game after uh, Bobby Jurison had been cut, and Jurison played against the Rough Riders. That's a sack full of fact talk. Yes, I uh, I don't know why I compiled it. I'm just so proud that I finally get to use all this stuff because I spent a few nights in the newsroom curled up with some files. Murray, please save this podcast. There's no dog on the bed anymore to bail us out of this. Go. I was looking through the stats this morning. Is that's not going to save us from that? More stats. Oh, and, no. and, and the writers, from my distinct, my knowledge, they had four trips into the red zone and came away with points in every trip. Touchdown, touch, uh, touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. So that's kind of over. That's efficient, isn't it, to go down there? I, think, I don't know how much we read into that. They got there. I mean, it was rare. In the sec- I think in the second half of the game against BC, they didn't get past midfield until the AC Leonard interception in the second half. Yeah. So the, the taps turned off after 28 minutes into that game, and then it was as though there was a, a Donald Trump wall at, uh, at midfield. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, I'm not sure if, if Randy Ambrosi got a uh, foreign country to pay for the uh, wall as part of the global initiative, but uh, um, well. <laughs> but uh, the uh, um, but they took advantage of those op- they took advantage of those opportunities and and uh, and even there was one situation too where they were they were hemmed in and Cody Fajardo rushed for 20 plus yards on one yeah. play. I just need <laughs> yeah. That was a great one <laughs> podcasting history. Um, to get them out of trouble. They didn't end up scoring on that drive, but just uh, when they were backed up very, very, very deep, that run by Cody Pajaro bought them some time. So uh, it was just smart game planning all around. And it was certainly a reversal of form and philosophy from the uh, BC game where it seemed the Rough Riders went out of their way not to use the William Powell in the running game. Wow. Against, against, uh, against Hamilton, it was Powell, 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 Powell. There was one point yeah. that William Powell carried the ball five plays in a row, and they knew it was coming, they being Hamilton. They just couldn't stop it. And that, yeah. that's especially impressive when you look at the composition of the Rough Riders' offensive line. 
that was especially impressive. I thought I just had written that down that that series there. Like, imagine if he had done that way back on November seventeenth, two thousand and nineteen. Would we be telling a different story in twenty twenty one with the Rough Riders? They bring back what Bakadu's offense and not using Powell in that situation. What a the big thing in football, and we, we you mentioned it too, is running the ball when they everybody in the world knows you're going to run the ball and you still run the ball effectively. That's such a huge part of a football team. It does so much for confidence and just so much for momentum. And I think I, I think the offensive line had a fine game. I, I didn't really see an issue. Like Cody had two sacks, but that's for kind of passing plays. He was yeah. trapped behind the line of scrimmage, so they called them sacks. But there was really no intent to pass on either of those plays. When he was when it was an authentic passing play, it was never any touched. Yeah, uh, I know we have to bring this up. Let's just go for something. What about the return game? Like man, oh man, Marcus Murphy. I know he had the muff, and they lost the ball. And it just doesn't does he have it? Or does he? What? What? Do, I'm watching. I'm going. I don't see yards and slipped. He actually salvaged something out of that return and got something. Reasonable. It doesn't didn't it didn't ultimately hurt them given the disparity in the in points. Um, you know, the riders are high on Jamal Morrow. I wonder if there might be a change this week. But the fact that it didn't hurt them, and by the time this podcast is actually aired, this may be proved to be incorrect. But I would think that Craig Dickinson might be inclined to give Marcus Murphy another chance. I would think he would. This wasn't a kind of a. It wasn't one of those. Uh, type of games where the, the team ultimately pays the price. And this is a, this is someone to remember who in the National Football League took a punt back for a touchdown for the New Orleans Saints and is a, is a, is a proven returner at the pro football level. So, um, Plus there's a bye week next week, Rob. Why do that now? Give the guy playoffs, see what he does one more game, get a bye week. I, I'm not quite sure if they're, they're supposedly changing some of the rules that guys may be able to leave for the bye week. I'm not one of us unsure of that. Initially, that wasn't part of. They weren't allowed to travel on the bye week, but give him, let him play, let him play against Ottawa, see what he does, and then make a call after the bye week, and then he goes to a longer stretch. But yeah, I, you I, know, just, I just don't see it, an explosiveness there yet from him. A little bit, but nothing really going to send us over the. <laughs> the the first game, it looked like he had a chance to 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 break one, but the one of the issues too, and, and part of it's what he's instructed to do. But there were two situations where Hamilton missed long field goals, and the Rough Riders opted not to give up a single. Uh, yeah. And in, by, by in so doing, they made they ensured that it was still a two possession game, but it could they cost themselves roughly 50, 50 yards of field position each time because uh, they, the the ball would just go back to you know. Could go a lot further upfield if they just give him a point after a long field goal attempt. So I'm not sure in either of those cases the right call was made as far as giving up a single. Um, there was a bit of miscommunication, as Craig Dickinson seemed to characterize it, on the first such attempt, the 55-yarder that was wide. The second time they tried a 51-yarder, and Marcus Murphy ran it out of the end zone. I got thinking about, got to about the 15-yard line. But it, I think in both cases, give him the point. Get, you're on about the 50-yard line after yeah. that, first down or two. If nothing else, you punt for that single the way John Ryan is punting that that you just gave away. I don't think he's going to lead the league in singles this year the way John Ryan's punting. His his punting's the majority of them are outside the numbers. He was pinning guys. He wasn't. He didn't need a seventy yarder to score to help seven that long punt. So I was impressed. John Ryan in the last two games has impressed me. He's he's talked about how he he's added the different shots to his different kicks. I guess because he used the golf analogy, different shots to his game, and I think you can really see them. That they're starting to show up that he, I think he needed a, a, a season to adjust to the CFL and whatnot and do that in time off. And I think you, know, you probably have some amazing stats on John from this game too, but I don't. 
Well, I have the hang time numbers. He was what he was. It was over. His, his hang time was over four seconds on five on five of the seven punts, peaking at about just think I think just over four point six on the first punt, which was a fifty five yarder, and uh, uh, that uh, that ball was in the air so long I think it had flight attendants on it. Yeah. So, um, uh, just well. There was one punt in the first game against BC. It landed in the end zone. And then, then bounce back to about the three or four yard line. I don't know how you put that kind of spin on it. I don't know. You know, uh, it's uh, uh, that, that's amazing to punt the ball that well and then have the kind of spin on it that it comes back into the field of play. I, I'm quite that impressed. Was, back in the day when I golfed, I could do a little bit of spin on the ball, but never drawn it back four or five yards like that one did. So John's a bit of a golfer. He probably knows how to do it. Uh, you know, I would, what do we when think about Cody? Is that the hole where the pencil goes back and forth? <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I, I was also in the watching again, impressed with how Cody played. I know we always talk about him, but we always talk about him because he's such a key part of the football game. Yeah. Well, he's he, one of the three CFL three top performers this week. I know. So give him credit. You know, what did, I like that I saw the I like the way he ran the offense. I like the way he ran the ball. I'm not as concerned about him going head first. He seems to take takes a bit of a chance, but I think he's. He's not putting it. I don't. He, I'll, I'll, After that last run, or one of the last runs, he came off the field. He looked like he was limping a bit. Uh, it only takes one hit, and your whole season changes. Yeah. And uh, it, one of the things they talked about, Jason Moss had talked about coming into the season, certainly didn't want to put the brakes on Cody Fajardo running, but he wanted him to be judicious about it, and he wanted him to, uh, if possible, you know, slide or avoid any unnecessary contact. And and uh, Cody's done that sometimes, but he's such a competitor. And uh, there's that one run where I think he ran for 13 yards. He wriggled out of trouble. It looked like he was going to be trapped in the backfield. He ended up getting 13 yards out of it, but probably has a bruise to show for it, too. Two of the quarterbacks that started the, that had such big impact on the 2019 seasons are both on 2 and 0 teams. Eh? And they're yeah. both. In, both playing at a level we go, wow, we're kind of lucky to watch him. Like, Zach Kolaris had a nice spin move. In 2019. Yeah, like Zach Kolaris had a great spin move with the Bombers, and I remember that one thing. Holy smokes, that's not the guy I've seen we saw play here. Because I think we said that last week, too, about him. Just the difference, difference though, I mean, it's interesting. The first two starts that Cody Fajardo had in, 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 in 2019, um, they were just filling the air with deep passes. They were really prolific through the air. This season... The Rough Riders, I think, have tried eight passes where the ball has gone beyond 20 yards, gone 20 or more yards beyond the line of scrimmage. They haven't completed one, where that was the forte yep. of, of, the, of the Rough Riders' passing attack during Cody Fajardo's first two starts. And for a considerable portion of the season, especially the first half in 2019, that's the one area the Rough Riders' offense continues to struggle, is getting the ball downfield. It hasn't hurt them. They've put mm -hmm. up 30-plus points in the first two games. Granted, it was a Nick Marshall pick six that was part of it. In the first game, and, and the set, and the Mitch Picton touchdown was basically a defensive touchdown because of the fumble recovery on the eight. So the defense has tilted the field a bit in favor in favor of the Rough Riders. But um, still, that's the one thing that hasn't really uh, returned from 2019 is that deep strike capability. It didn't hurt, didn't help that, or doesn't help that Jack Evans was out for a considerable portion of that game after being hurt on the Cody Fajardo 14-yard touchdown run. And as we record this, we're not sure what uh, what Shaq Evans' status is for the upcoming game against uh, against Ottawa. But he he had seven receptions in the opener, but also had two drops and yeah. had the one reception 
on a, I think an 18 yarder over the middle right off right out of the gate against against Hamilton and after that really wasn't a big part of the offense I think he was targeted four times but caught the ball once so they've generally done what they've done without Shaq Evans being a, a real big playmaker but that's not to discount the uh, the uh, the impact that his absence uh, could have, because it really changes the dynamic of what the referees can do downfield. Even that yeah. threat being there is important. But Kyran Moore gives him that threat still too, Rocco. He's still fly. He's still got he swears, still got the moves and do that stuff. And I think Lanius can do that stuff. And I, Mike, Michael Mitchell Pickett should be in, out there too. So I still think they have depth of the receiver to get by those shots. But you can't take away an all-star and you're leaving receiver from 2019. And still not have some feel some sort of impact from that. What about all the penalties, Rob? You know, we look at this number. I wrote that down: twenty for 187 yards, three of them on one so-called goal line stand, and then all of them. I looked it up. Eleven of them were preventable. So those are offsides, legal procedures, all the type of things you don't expect from a disciplined team to make. Maybe it's early in the year. I rewatched. I know you did too. How many times their hands were over the white line in that goal line stand, which Seems to be a pretty comp, simple thought. If you're ahead of the white line, you're offside. If you're behind the white line, you're onside. Yeah, that and would think, be a pretty correctable thing. And, and it, 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 ultimately, it didn't. Like the Marcus Murphy's, you know, fumble. It didn't hurt him. <laughs> My dog keeps dropping her bone on the floor. In case you're here, she was playing with it and kept dropping it, kept throwing it down the stairs and picking it up. In case you're wondering what all the banging is in the background, it's candy with her bone. Um, but... Uh, the ones that got to me were, they were rough play penalties, just silly yeah. penalties of emotion that would would uh, they had good field position in one situation. I think it was on their 50 yard line. Bang, rough play penalty on the play. Uh, those are the ones that I think are really avoidable. Um, you're going to get your your penalized a certain amount just through the evolution of the game, but they've got to be really careful about letting their emotions get the best of them. Um, if you look at those penalties, so many of them are avoidable, whether it's the, the play penalties or those offsides. They're they're flirting with it a bit with, with uh, A.C. Leonard, and Derek Taylor was talking about this a bit with Luke Mullinder on the sports cage on Monday, how A.C. Leonard reads the snap count and anticipates the snap count. And it looks oftentimes like he is offside. And I, I rewatched the, uh, the, the, the the telecast, the TSN telecast, just to see, was, was A.C. Leonard offside in those plays where I thought he could have been called? No, he just got such a jump on it. He got he he he, he was out of the starting gates before anybody else really right. anticipated it. Yet there was an instance where he got called for offside. So there's going to be a certain amount of I think penalties that you almost have to chalk up uh, chalk up as being somewhat acceptable, because sometimes his his the burst that he has uh, off the line of scrimmage or right off the the snap of the ball is so quick that it might look like he's offside even though he isn't. It was just yeah. an amazing athlete. I think the refs need some credit. They have to watch for that now to maybe keep an eye that this guy's got such a burst off the ball that he's not offside because it could be just a natural reaction. He's it in that back It really yeah. looks deceiving. You almost have to take the ref, almost have to, you know, take the officials aside. They look, he's actually just reading the snap count. And there's times when he's legitimately offside, and that is going to happen. But there's one time, for example, he got called for offside, cost him five yards, and the next play he got a sack. Yeah, so, uh, you know, he uh, – he cost them a he cost them a quarter, but they got a dollar out of the deal. Yeah, so oh, he's a good player, though. Like, holy smokes, that was a pretty shrewd move by Chris Jones back in the day to switch oh, him. Goodness. You know, he 
he he recognized that challenge. He Taylor Field for catching two touchdown passes as a tight end with the BC Lions against the Rough Riders. Yeah. Uh, look at the things he's doing athletically, and uh, maybe he deserved a bit more credit than he got. It was kind of the he was kind of the other guy when uh, when the Rough Riders had Charleston Hughes. But you look at the game that he had in in the in the West Division final in 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 2019. I think he had a couple of sacks from just all over the field. Had the Riders won that game, there would have been a lot of stories written and a lot of praise directed toward AC Leonard. And uh, um, man, is he playing well? And uh, you know, he's, he's a different player than Charleston Hughes. I mean, Charleston Hughes is tremendous, uh, but I don't think he's ever really had the pure athleticism that. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Charleston Hughes's technique and his his, his, his anticipation and his smarts uh, have helped him so much. He just he just understands every mechanic of rushing the passer, and I'm not discounting the uh, the the attributes of that nature that AC Leonard possesses. But without being six foot seven, he's looking a lot like Willie Jefferson right now. Yeah, man, it's fun watching Willie Jefferson play football. He's just a great player, and we also both know. He's also a good guy, too, and he has fun and his joy in his game that you just wonder. Like, I can watch him play all day, I just think. He's yeah. I'm just trying to find the attendance figure here, Rob. That's why, sorry if I was looking otherwise. 27-0-80 was the one they announced later. All the attendance across the league was down after week two, after the, the excitement and the hype of week one. You know, I, I meant to, I, I meant I tend to check on Ticketmaster. I, I'm assuming ticket sales are slow for Ottawa too. That's yeah, it's still twenty-six thousand in a pandemic. It's pretty yeah. good. I I tweeted, and I can't believe the, the response to this. I was just simply stating a fact that the the, the, the attendance on Saturday was the Rough Riders' lowest attendance for a home game since since 20, 2014, week week four when the Riders played BC. And uh, and uh, I wasn't criticizing anyone. I was just pointing out that the simple fact it was the lowest attendance. It was the lowest attendance since the new Mosaic Stadium opened. Considering the, the climate in which we live, I was surprised to see that them get as many as twenty-seven thousand. I thought they might be a thousand or two above their season ticket base. Because yeah. um, at one point I looked at the the seating chart on Ticketmaster, and there were a lot of blue dots. And yeah. uh, so uh, 27,000 is actually pretty good. I wasn't slamming anybody. I was just, it's a fact. Those are numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's math. But some it people is. can't really grasp the logic behind that. And I understand. It was loud. Like, they were raucous. They were having fun. It was just because I think we have to give people a break. They're getting back into football. They're getting back into life. They're getting back to what is going to pass for being normal. And they may be a little cautious. So, I think it may be happening again. As I said, in Ottawa, I would try to get over 27,000. Maybe two wins will do something for them. But most people I talk to aren't – it's not a game – game day isn't a, the big day for them right now. It's other things and, and cottages and stuff is supposed to be nice. So maybe maybe the numbers will pick up probably the second half of the season. They're on the road for most of it. Yeah. So there's really no ground. There's no, there's no room to sort of make up for things other than the way things are right now. So – no, but let's look at Ottawa really briefly. Um, I'm not sure what to make of this game because Ottawa's one and zero, and I still don't think they're very good. Not for a bobbled pass that ended up being an Abdul Kane interception return for a touchdown. Edmonton doesn't lose that game to Ottawa. You can't really uh, denigrate a team for winning, 
But they, I mean, they won the game with 71 passing yards. Uh, throwing arm looks like uh, Linguini. Uh, and they, as anticipated, they really don't have seem to have a lot of playmakers on offense. The defense certainly played well, uh, but uh, you know Paul Lapolis's offense was. People say, well, Paul Lapolis is this, this great offensive coach, and he absolutely is. But they still only got 71 passing yards. It was a bit of a anomaly, I think. If that if that if that was a best of seven between Edmonton and Ottawa, I think Edmonton wins four of those five games. But uh, still, I mean, the fact that they won the game doesn't make Ottawa the soup can, perhaps, that, that they may appear to be. Derek Taylor's referring to it as guaranteed win night. Yeah, I see that. Uh, He's been saying that since the beginning. So, good. so I, I did that in 2019 when Ottawa was here. I wrote, yeah, Riders will kill them. And they, they pretty much cleaned them. But uh, 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 I know the Riders weren't excited to see that because they thought the dreaded bulletin board material. But, I mean, this should be a, this should be a check mark in the win column. Okay. I think the only thing to beat the Riders in this game is, is psychology. They're two and zero. Winnipeg's two and zero. They've got a bye week coming off. Coming up, sometimes there's a bit of a bit of a danger going into a bye week. At least that was in the Danny Barrett years. You can almost count on them losing the last game before the mm-hmm. bye week. It looked like they they basically had their bags packed to get away for a week. They weren't a very focused team in those years. I don't think that's going to hurt this, the team this time around. But you're already. I'm, I'm already thinking more about the Labor Day game than I am the Ottawa game because that that could be an absolutely epic Labor Day weekend game against Winnipeg. Could be an epic couple of weeks. Offers. Well, man, yeah, they got to be out offers and the bye week. And don't underestimate how much the bye week means to these guys. They've been in quarantine basically since what July 10th, even longer yeah. than that. But, and I, and as I said the CFL is supposed to be easing the rules to allow guys, some guys, to go home on the bye week, but. I don't know if you're making what they're making. Can they even afford to go home on the bye week? I don't know what's going to happen there. Yeah, just... a weekly flight in and out of Regina. <laughs> yeah. They, uh, they might have to rent a horse if you want to get uh, get to the United States these days. Anyway, Rob, I think we've covered a lot of topics, haven't we? I think we've got to head off to practice. And I have um, – I keep forgetting okay. the little thingy at the end that Mark Melnichuk asked us to uh, – our producer, Mark Melnichuk, asked us to – play or to discuss or to relate to our fine audience. So I've recorded it simply so that we have it for posterity. So here is me, a uh, little ventriloquism here. If you enjoy the podcast, please leave a review at a five-star rating. It helps us grow the podcast. You can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Pretty good, huh? If you'd like to send us a question, you can email Rob at rvansodapostmedia.com and we'll read it on the air. You can follow me on Twitter at Rob Vanstone or Murray at Murray LP. That's awesome. The Voice Changer app is a beautiful thing. For Murray McCormick, I'm Rob Vanstone. We'll do this again next week. Take care.